So we are still in John chapter 11. Uh, We're walking through the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. We learned a lot about our Savior in these past few weeks. The um, sermon title, if this is your first time here and you haven't seen it, but it's The Good Shepherd. We found out in John chapter 10 that Jesus refers to himself as the Good Shepherd. That we are the people of his flock and we are together in this. That he cares for us. We saw last week that Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are all siblings. Two sisters, one brother. And he loves them, we saw, with this divine, unconditional love. Like, you have love as friends and you have this love that is more than that. It's this divine, unconditional love. Like, I love them unconditionally. Jesus used this type of word for them when he said he loved them. And last week, we went through Jesus' discourse or his communication or conversation with the two sisters. One, who is Martha, had a more theological um, it had more of a theological response, right? It was more truth-based. He said, I am the resurrection and life. That's how he uh, comforted one of them. That was with Martha. But with Mary, notice he sits and he weeps with her. They have the same statement that they say to Jesus. If you were just here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus has two Radically different responses. What do we learn about that last week? We learned that Jesus is very personal. That he meets people where they're at. Now we're coming to this climax of this story. And we're going to just jump right into Lazarus raising from the dead. John eleven thirty eight 38 says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone, Martha. The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said to the Father, Father, I thank you. That you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, the Jews who were with him, unbind him and let him go. That's the story. Jesus shows in this previous sermon that he is the God of truth. He reveals to Martha who he is, that he is the resurrection and the life. But Jesus also reveals to us that he is the God who also experiences emotions. That emotions aren't wrong. Weeping alongside mourners, entering into their pain. But Jesus is about to show the glory of God on display due to an action. 
The life-giving words are about to be put on display right here. The same words that spoke into the existence, the galaxies and universe and the world, that is going to cause dead matter and flesh to spring with life again. So this is where we're headed. We will see three things, hopefully. Jesus has his people participate. That's the first thing. We should find comfort in that, that Jesus has his people participate in doing things, right? Second is Jesus' praise. This is utmost importance. And third, Jesus displays his power. So Jesus has people participate, Jesus prays, and Jesus displays his power. So we're going to begin by seeing how Jesus has people participate. And I was sitting with this text, I was wrestling with this text all week because I knew there was something there and it was like right underneath the surface. So I kept reading it, kept reading it, praying about it, reading it, kept praying about it. I asked myself, why wouldn't Jesus just move the stone away? Why couldn't he have just used his powers to be like Lazarus come out and the stone rolled away and he came forth? And then I realized that the fundamental reality is God wants his people, his creation, to participate in the actions. I find that fascinating. See, my fear is, is that today, at church, that you, we would just see this as some spectator sport. Right? Not a participatory activity. Right? I don't want people just sitting in stands... We can't have our saints sitting in stands, right? We can't have that. We need to be active. Yes, I'm up here preaching. Yes, I'm here to encourage you to walk out your faith, point you to Christ. But God wants us to have fellowship with him, right? It's not just a one-day affair. We need to be daily walking out our faith. And what, what do I mean by that? What does that mean, like... Does God really want fellowship and want us to do things? I want to start all the way at the beginning in Genesis. In Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord took man and put him in the garden, in the Garden of Eden, to work and keep it. In the beginning, we had tasks. This might come to a shock, but work isn't a product of the fall. We were created to do things. We are created in the image and likeness of God to be his representatives on the earth. To show people the goodness of Jesus Christ. He gave Adam a task. One of the first things he did. And what was that task? What did that look like? In Genesis 2.19 it said, Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird in the heavens. And he brought them man so he could call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, all the birds in the heaven and every beast of the field. He had a task. The creation was there and he's naming everything. And even now we have a resurrected king named Jesus who allows us to participate in the expanding of his kingdom. Matthew 28, 19, this isn't just for me up here behind a pulpit. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's the Great Commission. This isn't a task for spiritual elites. This is a task for everyone who has went from death to life, and we get to do this and participate in this. Our task is to make disciples. As Christians, it is fundamental to understand that we are portable temples. That might sound weird and strange, but as I was praying earlier today in our prayer time, there was a tent of meeting. That's where they went to meet God. And then Solomon, there was a temple, beautiful. That's where they went to meet God. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he says, my people will worship in spirit and truth. That means on 888 Parsons Avenue, right now, right here, we have access. If we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have his Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And we can communicate to him right here, right now. People have a role to play in the work of redemption, redemptive history. There's no spectators in the stands here. We have this together. Right? Each one of us. Remember, I've been saying this multiple days in a row. What we behold, we become. What we look at, what we fixate on, we become like. So if we look more and more at Jesus, we'll become more and more like him. That's the reality. And the Jews who were with Jesus had to be in close proximity to him in order to hear the task of rolling away the stone. They had to be close to Jesus. Jesus asked these men two things. One, to roll away the stone. Two, take off Lazarus' burial cloths. Once again, I was like, that is so fascinating. Know this, though. Jesus does the miracle of raising people from death to life. Right? That's in God's hands. I cannot be up here changing you and giving you life because that is God's work. The miracle of somebody going from death to life, believing in Christ, that is his work and his work alone. But I can participate in rolling away a stone. I can participate when there's a trapped dead man inside and God raises him from the dead I can help unwrap his old clothes of a dead man. Because he's no longer dead. He has no use for those clothes. We can do this by our actions. We can help roll away the stone and take off the burial cloths by our actions. We can participate. One of my favorite verses... In all of scripture, and it ministered to me, I think that's why I love it so much. But it's blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why does he comfort us? It says right here, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort in which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's participatory. That is action-based. The relationship that we have with Jesus Christ transforms us to go out 
rolling away stones and unwrapping people in their dead old clothes because there is life. We can show the kindness of God by our actions and its gentleness. We reflect on God and his comfort in our lives. This leads us to extend comfort to others. I need to be reminded of that. I have to be reminded of that. My attitude has not been Christ-honoring this week. And I can't walk up here and stand up here and pray up here talking about confession without saying, I fall short. Thank goodness that Jesus Christ doesn't. If you look to me, you will be let down. Look to him. Because he is the King of kings, Lord of lords, the God of all creations. I need to be more gentle. Because the more I read about Jesus, the more I see Jesus, the more I see that he wants to comfort those with the comfort that he extends to me. I'm like, I'm not doing that, Lord. Teach me to be like that. Our actions to others can be the means that people see God's working, not only in our own life, but even their lives. We may not be able to see somebody rise from the dead. We can roll stones away. We may not be able to raise the dead, but we can help people take their old clothes off. Because we've been made alive in Christ. We can walk with others. We can participate in taking the old clothes off, the old way of life, like selfishness, anger, and bitterness. We can put on the clothes of righteousness. We can be marked with love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. We can put those on. We can participate in the kingdom advancing. But we must learn from Christ. We must learn by what he does. Fascinating thing is what he does is he prays. The God of the universe prays. Verse 39 says, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. It's been four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around that they may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is in close, intimate relationship with his father. He talks to him. He asks him things. He spends time with him. Here at Salt and Light, our second value is being a prayerful people. And we take prayer very seriously. I take prayer very seriously. For example, yesterday we served a toy drive and 500 and plus children got toys. We didn't know if we were going to have enough toys at the beginning of the week. But we kept praying and said, Lord, come in. Out of nowhere, boop, 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 boop. We've got to be able to serve our community in that way. And that sounds like, yeah, well, of course, you're having a uh, you know, toy drive, so let's do a toy drive. That makes sense. Of course you're going to get toys. A few weeks ago, I was sitting down. A guy came up to me and said, hey, Josh, I need a crock pot. And I said, all right. Four hours later, we get a crock pot. I prayed for it. I asked. I said, Lord, 
Why not? Either I get it or I don't. Then we got one four hours later. Glory be to God. That's God providing what seems to be insignificant to other people. He listens. He hears. These are just examples. That thing might seem trivial or small, the crockpot, right? But in the reality of our Christian walk, when we're angry and frustrated, we need to go to the Lord in prayer. Brothers and sisters, I'm letting you know, I'm, this is a sermon for me. You are seeing my heart on display right now. That if I'm angry and I'm frustrated, I have to go to the Lord in prayer. If we are anxious and we're worried, we need to go to the Lord in prayer. It is Jesus' most direct and specific, one of them, most direct and specific commands. And we should pray because Jesus did. If he's praying, that's a good enough reason for me. Scriptures reveal that God will hear and respond. And that we can pray with confidence. We have to understand that our God is a good God. If we think he's evil, manipulative, and vindictive, then guess what? We're going to expect that. That's why we also have to be a scripture-saturated people. We have to see the fact that Jesus goes to Martha different than he goes to Mary, but he goes to all three because he's motivated by love and the glory of God. We have to know that. H.B. Charles says, Prayer is arguably the most objective measurement of our dependence on God. The things that you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things that you neglect to pray about are the things that you think you can do on your own. That's hard. I pray because I can't do this, Lord, but everything I ain't praying about is because I know I can do it in my own strength and power. The Bible urges us to replace anxiety with genuine prayer before the Lord. It says this in Philippians 4, 6-7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything make your supplication with thanksgiving, uh, with everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. The Bible urges us to replace anxiety with genuine prayer. And guys, we, we go through this in the morning, but also on the back we have the Acts prayer. I just want to take a moment to pause here and talk about the Acts prayer. We have adoration, so start your prayer with praise. Praise God for who he is. Worship him and acknowledging his greatness. And then see confession. Tell God that you're sorry for where you've fallen short, where you don't live up to the standard. Tea, thanksgiving, tell God thank you for what you have been given. And then supplication, ask God for your specific requests. This is just a simple tool. This isn't the only way to pray. We just want to be able to equip the saints for the work of the ministry because we pray because Jesus prays. He commanded us to pray, and if we pray, it's easier for us to participate in the powerful work of Jesus Christ on this earth. Jesus' work here is not weak. It is powerful. And that brings me to my last and final point. 
Verse 43 and 44 says, When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died has came out, and his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This story is all about Jesus. And it's almost a little bit, a little bit anticlimactic. He says, Lazarus, let's go, get out. And he's out. And then we don't hear anything from Lazarus. I'm like, oh man, I would love to hear what he has to say. Like, what did you see? But that's not the point. The point is Jesus Christ said three words and raised the dead man from life. And that is an amazing thing. I just, when I was reading the text and chewing on this, it's a whole chapter build up to three words. Beautiful. We hear nothing from Lazarus. And this man is brought back from the dead. No words. He didn't get a fanciful spell cast on him. Lazarus, come out. That's it. Those three words are powerful enough to make a man who has been dead for four days be filled with life. Lungs filled with oxygen, veins pumping blood, rigor mortis that is probably set into stiff muscles and deterioration, soften and be able to be moved again. This is a miracle and this is power on display. And from the lips of our Savior, three simple words. Lazarus, come out. He is the one who comes and makes the dead alive, Jesus is. And don't miss this, we need to be born again. <laughs> Even if we're alive without Christ, we're the walking dead. We're not alive. We're spiritually dead. And until the Lord awakens our heart, mind, and body to trust in him, we're dead. Just as dead as Lazarus. And know that if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus, it is a miracle in and of itself. I don't want to hear about boring testimonies. I do not like that term. Regardless of where you've came from or what you've done, you were dead in a tomb. Somebody wrote it away. Jesus said, come out. And you were raised from the dead. Just as much as Lazarus. Knowing that if you trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, then that is a miracle. To be made alive in Christ is a miracle because we are dead in trespasses. And... Ephesians 2 put it this way, and I'm just going to read Ephesians 2, and the reason I'm going to do that is because it is the Bible, and it says it way better than I can, right? So I'm just going to read the Word of God and let that wash over you. Ephesians 2 starts out like this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. Pause. I want you to hear this, and when it says you... If you believe in Christ, put your name there because it's talking about you. Once Josh was dead and uh, dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. 
You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live this way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But our very nature, we are subject to God's anger just like everybody else. But God, I love those two words, but God, so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can put to us in all future ages as an example example of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he had planned for us long ago. To be participatory. We get to participate and pray because of the power of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's his life, death, and resurrection. That was the fulfillment of the law that we cannot keep. It took the wrath of God that was supposed to be on us, that we deserved. He took it on the cross, gave us his life a new life, eternal life. And my hope is that we would trust in him, believe in his words, and rest in his works. Because he is the good shepherd. And we are his flock. And he will lead us to still waters, green pastures. The good shepherd loves us. He goes to us. He raises us up from the dead. The good shepherd cares about us. Father, you are the king of kings, Lord of lords. You're the God of all creation. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for sending people who participated in the fact that we have the English language Bible in the hands of anybody in here who wants it, that I can stand up here on stage without persecution. Give us wisdom, give us understanding, give us hope. Fill us with your grace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yet again, we're, we're, we're continuing our worship. As you know, Josh, he was, he was saying that Jesus has people participate. And so our, our Sunday gatherings, they are styled in such a way that people participate. We have prayer before we, before we start. We have fellowship, which requires people talking to one another, caring about one another. We 
come together and we sing. The saints are gathered together singing. We are participating in worship. We pray together over the offering. We hear from the word and we we don't hear just to hear. We don't just sit in order to be good people. We sit to hear the gospel and apply it to ourselves, to be changed by it. So that when we go throughout our week, people see little Christs. We get to participate in that. And here again, we have uh, communion or the Lord, you know, the Lord's Supper, where we are coming together as a family. We're having a family meal and we are participating in proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We are participating. And so it's, this isn't something that do this or you are going to hell. It's come to this feast, celebrate our Lord. That's what we're doing. We're proclaiming the Lord's redemption. It's a joyous occasion. It's something that we get to do together as a family. And so if you are, if you are a believer, if you are someone who has been changed by Jesus Christ, please join us here in participating in the Lord's Supper. But if you have not come to faith, we would ask that you would refrain until you have come to faith in the Lord Jesus, until you have repented of your, of your sin for, the, for forgiveness. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, he wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you are going to be joining us in proclaiming the Lord's death, then please raise your hand and our ushers will will go around and they'll pass out the elements. Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you Father we thank you that you have given us Jesus Christ that you God became man to pay the penalty for our sin we didn't deserve it but you did it anyway because you love us we thank you for that Lord we thank you for your redemption for your mercy and your grace. What a gift. 
Lord, help us to always see the beauty in this message and, and, and honor it with our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Father, we thank you that you've given us a covenant, a sure promise of our redemption, of the hope that we have. You've given us a sure substitute for our sins, a complete, a sufficient one. Thank you for the blood of Christ. Thank you that uh, paradoxically by his blood, we can be made white. We can be made clean. What a gift. Help us to live lives that are holy, that are pure, because you are holy and pure. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And Jesus said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Have a great week, everybody.